This episode is brought to you by my free guide on better serving our students with disabilities in the music classroom. I firmly believe that our job as music educators is to help our students find the way in which they can be best musical. And when it comes to teaching students with disabilities, most of us don't feel prepared to best serve these students. In this free guide, I'll share five ways to better serve the students with disabilities in your classroom so that you can truly say that your classroom is for everyone. To grab your free guide, head to thatmusicteacher.com disabilities. Again, to grab your free PDF guide, including a foreword by Lauren Morsenkowski about why disability isn't a bad word, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com disabilities. You're listening to That Music Podcast with Bryson Tarbett, the curriculum designer and educational consultant behind That Music Teacher and the Elementary Music Summit. Each week, Bryson and his guests will dive into the reality of being an elementary music teacher and how music can truly be transformative in the lives of the students you serve. Show notes and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at thatmusicteacher.com. Hello and welcome back to That Music Podcast. I am so excited for this conversation all about instructional technology in a way that's actually going to be helpful in our classroom and give our students more voice and choice and agency in the classroom. Um, so I can't wait to introduce you to the wonderful Teresa Hoover. Teresa, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for those of my audience that are were not in the Elementary Music Summit and got to see your wonderful presentation, can you describe who you are and kind of what your background in education is? Sure. Um, so let's see. I'll start with where I am right now. So currently, I'm actually in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and I'm a PhD student at Arizona State University um, Getting working towards a degree in music learning and teaching, which is just a fancy way of saying music education. Um, but prior to that, I spent 19 years in the classroom on the East Coast, mostly Pennsylvania and Northern Virginia, uh, teaching a, a lot of different things. I, I, I've, I've done it all at one point or another. However, elementary and middle school band, those are kind of my, my things. That's where I spent the most time. So, but yeah, that's, so 19 years of that. And now I'm back in the classroom, which is, or well, back in the classroom as a student, which is kind of crazy, but also really fun. Yeah. I love, you've definitely been a little bit of everywhere. So I, I can't wait to kind of pick your brain and kind of get some context um, from a lot of different perspectives. So you talked a little bit about how, like you, like I said, you've been kind of everywhere. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us how, or, you know, what got you interested in using technology in the classroom? Yeah. Um, you know, I've actually like reflected on that a couple times. And it's funny when I look back over the last like 25 years, technology has been like a little part, like, like a little side thing that I've always been interested in, even like summer jobs that I had in high school and things like that. But it wasn't until I moved to Northern Virginia and that was 2016. Um, and I got a job in Arlington County. Um, it really wasn't until then that I was, you know, I went to a school where every student had a device and we were really encouraged to use tech. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I just started digging in and like learning everything that I could and trying all the things. Um, and I really just fell in love with what it did for my classroom. Um, so like I said, we were at that time one-to-one -one with iPads. Um, so I was, you know, learning how to use the iPad with the kids. I also took a class in Google. And that really opened a whole bunch of doors as well, because um, I, I just learned how how versatile the Google platform was and how much there was to it. So I quickly got my Google 
let's see, it was called Google Certified Educator Level 1. And then I did the Google Certified Educator Level 2. And then the next thing you know, I was, you know, um, taking the course to become a Google trainer. <laughs> and then like, well, if you're going to be a trainer, I thought to myself, I might as well do their innovator program too. So I, I applied for their innovator program. And on the second, second try, I made it and I ended up spending um, almost a week in London in 2019 in the summer at the Google, at Google for Education headquarters and just learning with a cohort of other people about just how we can really transform education. So I'm hooked. I've, you know, I've, I've drank the Kool-Aid and I, I love it. And I try to incorporate it in a lot of the different things that I teach. I love that. And like full disclosure, your session at the Elementary Music Summit about like how teachers can use all the Google things to like make our lives easier has changed my life. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've never felt like I've been an organized person, but I feel like at least I can open my Google Drive and not feel like terrified. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that that was useful. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I present a lot about technology, but I find that that sometimes those little tips on just how to be more organized are the most useful. So I'm glad that I was able to do that session for you. So beyond helping my Google Drive be a little bit more organized, mm -hmm. um, how do you think, or how can technology increase, increase the engagement of the students have in the classroom? Yeah, and that's that's why we use it, right? We use it so that we can do something better. Um, and I think for me, that's that's what it does. Like it, it gets kids to be able to do something that they couldn't do before. And it might just be as simple as giving away for the teacher to hear from every student, to give every student a voice, right? That can be a simple use for technology, just to hear from all of them. Um, as music teachers, we see a lot of kids in a week, like a lot of kids. And to be able to really hear from every student is challenging, but technology offers us a, a way to do that. Um, we can use technology to give kids choices in different things so that they can tap into their interests. And, and my favorite is just to use it to have them create, right? Creating music is what this is all about. It's one thing, you know, we do a lot of recreating, especially in ensembles, right? Our ensembles, it's, it's a lot of, here's how we're going to recreate this person's music. But if we can use the tech to get the kids creating on their own and making and really being musical, that's the stuff that I really love. Um, and we could go into like all kinds of different things, but those are like the three, the three biggest things that I found with technology is, you know, giving them a voice, giving them choice and really getting the kids creating. So I need to be honest, when I was an undergrad, there was always like part of whenever we had to turn in those, you know, those like nine page lesson plans that we never wrote again. <laughs> Yeah. Um, whenever we had to turn in our lesson plans, there was always a section that was graded about, quote unquote, like 21st century skills. Mm -hmm. And I always struggle with that because I'm like, one, you know, we're already 20 years in at this point, you know, 15, yeah. 20 years this way. So, but anyway, but like mine was always like, I guess I'm using a smart board. Like, does that count? Or, you know, using technology. And I kind of just put it in there because that was one of the boxes that I had to check. Mm -hmm. So I loved how you brought up the idea of making sure that we are using technology for the purpose rather than just kind of putting it in there. So when it comes to that student engagement and agency, I have really seen the same thing like you were saying, especially when it comes to getting everyone to be able to have a response or everyone be able to, you know, to hear from everyone. That's one thing that when we went all the, the virtual hybrid, all the craziness during COVID, um, I really had my eyes opened that there were some students that, you know, I thought necessarily didn't necessarily like music but they were just kind of musical in a different way. And they were able to give me some of these responses that I never would have gotten had I not used Canvas or things like that. Um, so I'm really excited to dive deeper into this because I've just seen how when you're using it correctly, it can really change your classroom. 
Absolutely. And a lot of that's like kind of what you said. You're like, well, oh, I used the smart board, which, you know, if you use the smart board as the teacher, that's great. You use tech. <laughs> but were your kids in engaged with that? Were the students the ones who were interacting, right? So I think that's when you say like right way and wrong way, there's not like a wrong way to use it. But when we really want to think about engagement, it's like, are the students interacting with it? So, yeah. So let's talk about what people get wrong, because <laughs> I, I know personally, I have had so many lessons where I'm like, all right, we're going to do this cool tech thing. It's going to be great. And then things just don't go right. So I'd love from your perspective, having um, been in a lot of different environments, having experience using different types of technology in different ways, what do you think people get wrong when they're implementing technology in the classroom? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I just said, kind of the, well, I'm using the technology, thinking that just the teacher using it's enough. That's not enough. Um, that's the first thing. But as far as like actually using it with the kids, I think sometimes we try to do too much too soon, or we try to like just tell the kids what we want them to do. So for example, if you have a brand new tech tool that you've never, ever used before, some I've seen teachers who will, you know, just maybe display it up on the board, talk at the kids for 10 minutes about how to use it, and then say, okay, now go, go do that thing that I just showed you and then get frustrated when the students don't do the thing that they just showed them, <laughs> right? Technology is very experiential. So I think if you're, when we're introducing something new to the kids, we need to let them experience it. And that might mean five minutes of chaos while they touch, push all the buttons and try all the things, right? Um, and, I, and that's okay to let them have that time to experiment and experience on their own and then say, okay, let's all come back together. Here's the first step of what I want you to try you know, open the program, do these three things and just keeping it little. Um, so I think sometimes we just, we jump in too, too much. And first again, the kids just want to play and then we're giving them too much information that they can't handle. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. I think, especially when it comes to using a new program, we go either one or two ways. And at least in my experience, I either give them way too many instructions mm -hmm. and expect them to be able to do it, or I give them zero boundaries and things go crazy either way. Yeah. One of my favorite ways, um, for instance, we I do a project using BandLab every year with my fifth and sixth graders. Mm -hmm. And I always have the first day, just figure out what you can do. Figure yes. it would make something. By the end of class, I want you to have something to play. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because some of them come out with full, you know, they're taking the loops and they're doing things. Some of that are just, you just have their voice go, boo. And that's the whole <laughs> thing they have. But they're experiencing how this works. And now that they've, ha they've basically kind of gone on their own self-directed scavenger hunt, yes. when we start doing the pieces that we need to do, they at least have a, a somewhat of a working understanding or some previous knowledge with that program before we start actually doing the thing. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Uh, my friend John Malinzak at, at Note Flight, he'll call that making a mess. He'll tell the kids like, okay, make a mess. <laughs> Use all the things. <laughs> and and he just wants them to try and to just just to do it and experiment. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. It's a great way to, to do it. And then think about it. You're also, you're really meeting the kids where they are. Because there's probably, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you probably have one or two kids who's played around in a DAW before. If they, maybe they have GarageBand on an iPad or something like that. So they don't need you to tell them this is a loop and this is how you drag it, right? They need to figure out the next step. So when you give them that time to experiment, it really opens the doors for the kids, no matter what level they're at, they can, they can find something cool. 
Exactly. And like on the flip side of that, we also have people that are like, all right, which one's the record button? Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's the red one, obviously. But I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, I know that <laughs> because I've had that work. I, mean, I have kids that are like, all right, which one's the play button? And my brain is, well, it's the triangle one, obviously. Yeah. But like thinking about how they play, you know, like with music online, they don't have, they don't have CD players with the right. buttons pointed on them. Like, I'm like, okay. So like, I have to like reframe my own thing. So I think you're exactly right. Is you know, letting them go on their own adventure before we start putting boundaries on it is really helpful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, I've, I've seen it go wrong the other way too, where we don't give enough, um, enough structure around it. So how would you recommend finding that balance between letting them explore, letting them figure things out, but also giving some structure on it so that things don't com- don't, don't go completely out of control? Yeah, good question. Um, so I'll often refer to it as saying, provide the floor, but not the ceiling. Okay. So give them like the minimum requirements. Maybe, okay, if you're going to create something, let's say we're in the in band lab, right? You need to include at least two loops and it needs to have at least, you know, um, I don't know, be at least eight measures long or something like that. So you're giving them the minimum requirement. You want them to explore loops. You want it to have a little bit of length to it, but you're not limiting their creativity where they can go beyond that. You're not saying you must use exactly two loops and it must be exactly eight measures in the key of C in the, you know, you're just giving them the minimum. So that way, you know, the kid who takes the whole time to figure out this is a loop. He he can still be successful. And the child that's like, I got this, you know, they can make something that's maybe it's an ABA form, right? Maybe it has multiple sections and it has, you know, it's in a different key and it has different loops. Like they can really kind of take it as far as they want to. I love that idea of, of giving them the floor and not the ceiling. I will, that is really good way to put that. Um, so I, I, we've had t- conversations about technology on the podcast before. Um, I was looking up just before our call, actually in episode eight with Catherine Miller, we talked about technology in the classroom in February of 2020, as if we had mm. no, no idea of what was about to happen. Um, so, <laughs> and we, I know in that episode, we talked a little bit about different, you know, different apps and things like that, you know, what grades and things like that. But I would love to know in your experience, what are there ages that should or should not be using technology? And if so, kind of how do we find that line? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I'll preface this by saying, you know, my kindergarten teaching experiences is limited, right? It is. So I don't have, I am not somebody who would say that I'm like, you know, great at um, early elementary. However, um, my good friend and co-author Catherine Finch is a phenomenal K to five educator. And I, I often will refer to what she does in her classroom for some of these things. So based on what I've seen with Catherine, it, anybody can use technology. However, you're really going to think hard with especially the littles, how much you're using and what you're using, right? Um, you are likely not going to have an entire class period where a, fir- a kindergarten or first grade class is using technology. You might have one activity in that class period that it could be appropriate, but I would never suggest that for an entire. Now, fifth grade, I could see if you're really doing a cool project, like we keep going back to band lab, you might use the whole class period, right? Because it might take that long. Um, And you might use it more frequently with the older students. But um, personally, again, from what I've seen in in my classes and and classes I've been in and Catherine's classes, anybody can, right? It's just making sure that we keep it appropriate for the age level. Um, 
with any technology, no matter what age the student is, you've got to have a strong purpose for it. You have to have a strong why. And that's kind of what we talked about before. We're using it to increase engagement, using it to increase agency, get them creating, making choices, things like that. So as long as what you're doing with the tech meets that purpose, why not? I, I completely agree. And I'll be honest, I haven't done much technology with my little ones. Um, but for me, that's just more of the logistics of, you know, the last couple of years, if we've only been able to get one-to-one. -one. Um, so now we finally have enough devices. So I'm going to try to use a little bit more. Um, but I, to kind of shift off of that, I would love to know, you know, how do you think those districts, and obviously COVID changed a lot of this and there are many more devices in schools than there were five years ago. But I would love to know, like, how do you, how can you implement technology if you don't, if you aren't necessarily one-to-one -one, or if you don't have Chromebooks that you're, they're allowed to bring with them? How do you implement technology in maybe some smaller ways um, in, in that kind of aspect if that's what your teaching reality is? Yeah. If you don't have one-to-one -one devices, that's a great question. So the question is like, all right, what do I have, right? Do I have my teacher device? Do I have maybe a set of five devices that can be used? Um, and you kind of think about what you have and then work from there. Um, I've seen it work really well as a station, right? Maybe the teacher has like three devices and they can either put the three devices at one station and make that the tech station kids pair up. So two, two kids per device, um, you know, or you spread them out one one device per station. And that way the kids are rotating through different activities during the classroom. And at one point in time, they're going to use the technology. So that could be one way. Um, if you Same thing if you have like a smart board or something like that. Could that be a station in the classroom that some kids interact with? Um, I feel like in this day and age, the whole thing where like the entire class looks at the smart board and one kid at a time kind of interacts with it. Eh, that might not be the best use of what we do, but let's say you have four or five kids who are interacting with it, working together, creating something, dragging, whatever. Um, that can be really positive. And, and the nice thing with the stations is you're not spending the entire class period on the tech, right? With the, as the kids rotate around, they're doing different activities and they're doing different things. All right, so you're bringing me really nicely into my next question, <laughs> which is there are definitely people out there that are going to argue that kids spend too much time on screens. Um, you know, all their, you know, they have math curriculum things that they do. You know, they're on ST math, they're on Lexia, all these different things that are already on screens. What do you say to those people that think that we shouldn't use technology in our classrooms because there's already too much screen time? And kind of off that question, how should teachers balance using technology with old school manipulatives and resources? Yeah, that's a totally valid question. Um, so in my mind, not all screen time is equal, right? I think there's a big difference between consumption and creation. And a lot of us, when we say, oh, the kids are all this screen time, a lot of that screen time is consumption when they're watching videos, reading things, and just kind of staring at the thing, consuming the, the information that it's giving us, right? To me, that's very different screen time than creation if they're making something. Because if they're making something, they're engaged with it in a different way. So if they're using, uh, say, the Chrome Music Lab to create music, that's totally different than just watching the 13th YouTube video in a row, right? If they're using Flip to create a video demonstrating their singing voice, totally different than just pushing buttons on a game. Now, I 
I know I should probably say that I'm sorry. I'm not a gamer. So maybe people who, who are really into games on devices would disagree with that statement. But to me, that the whole creation piece is really different than consumption. So that's one thing to think about with that. And as far as balancing, yeah, there totally needs to be a balance. In a typical like general music class, ensemble class, no, the kids should not be on devices the whole time unless you're working on a very specific project that requires that, right? And even then, maybe you would balance it throughout the week or throughout the month, how much time they're, they're using technology. Um, so I think to start off, just start off with one little lesson. If you're, if you're really, you know, someone's really never done it before, aside from pandemic teaching they've never done in person, pick one lesson and one activity where you can infuse some tech, 10 to 15 minutes. See how that goes, okay? Then, you know, you plan your next lesson and, and maybe you look at that lesson and think, all right, is there something in here that could be enhanced by technology? If it could, go for it. So there's going to be days where you ask yourself that question and the answer is no, and that's okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, you must use tech in this many out of this many lessons. No, you do it when it's appropriate. But just think about like, is there a way that I can enhance this? Could I find a way to hear from all the kids? Could I, you know, bring this up a notch by adding some creativity pieces to it that the tech can offer and, and then put it in that way. And I think if you can kind of frame it in a way that like we are enhancing this experience, that it starts to feel a little better. It's not like we're replacing, we're not replacing something, we're enhancing it. And I think that might help. I think you you really put it in a a good perspective, and I think that that is a good way to balance it. And for one, you know, when talking about the screen screens, you know, not wanting to confuse creation with consumption, that is a way that I like to think of it as well. I definitely didn't put it so eloquently in my brain, um, so I'm glad <laughs> you gave me some new verbiage to use. Um, but I think it's true. It, it's the same thing when you're thinking about your non-tech, just your, your content in general. There's a difference between listening to music and having music happen around you than being part of that music. And yeah. it's just a different part of participation and creation. Um, and I think that is something that we as teachers need to be aware of, but also we need to be hyper-specific that when we're including technology, it's not just because. Like, I'll be honest, my first couple of years of teaching, sometimes I'd find the blob opera, I'd be like, hey guys, look at this. And I'd be like, it was just kind of like, look at this thing. Yeah. And it wasn't really integrative into my curriculum. It wasn't really moving things along. Yes, it was fun. Yes, it was technically in, you know connected to music, but it wasn't really intentional. Yeah. And I think just like when we include anything in our curriculum, we need to make sure that we're doing it with intentional choices that are helping move our curriculum forward, but also helping give our students more choice and, and agency. So I'd love for you to, to talk about some of your favorite apps, websites, resources that you use with your students, specifically those that really help students kind of stay engaged and have more choices. I'd love to chat about some of your favorites. Yeah. Okay. We could be here all day. <laughs> but um, I mean, as we said before, I love all things Google. I think Google Slides is just like the one tech tool that I could never, ever, ever live without because uh, because of how much you can create with it, right? You can, you can have students creating presentations about things. You can use the music snippet add-on to have them actually composing and putting music notation right in their slides. Um, for the littles, they can be doing like different drag and drop act and manipulative activities that way. So Google Slides is, is just amazing. And like I said, I could, I could never, ever live without it. Um, even having kids do things like 
um, my, my middle school ensembles, they would do like a score study activity where they would work with their section to study a piece of music before we played it. And they would compile everything that they learned about the piece in their Google slides. And then they had this resource of like, oh, here's what I found. Here's where it changes key. Here's where these things happen, you know? So I think that's just, that's an, an easy one for me. Um, now going into like the music specific tools, the Chrome music lab is gold. Um, there's so many different musical experiments in there that you can almost always find something to tie it that ties into a lesson. Uh, they have one that's just a rhythm maker where you're kind of creating this little rhythmic loop. Um, and it's cute because there's these cute little, like, I don't know, they're like alien animal type things. <laughs> and that's the kids just click on a grid. And as they click, they're making different sounds, the sounds loop. And here's the, the thing with that a rhythmic loop is pretty much the same thing as a metronome. <laughs> so if you're ever doing anything where you want kids thinking about steady V and you want to have that steady pulse going, you can have them create in something like a rhythm maker and they're creating something to then use as a metronome. So it's like a little teacher trick right there. Um, also in the Chrome Music Lab, the song maker is, is wonderful. It uses another grid. The kids click on the grid to make the song. What's nice in song maker is you, they can create melody, harmony, they can add percussion. But on top of that, you can also change some of the settings. So you can stipulate what the meter is. You can stipulate how long the song, um, to a point, what key is it in? Do you want it to be, I think it's major, chromatic, or pentatonic. Um, and then you can even go as far as to save what's created. So let, let's say you're doing an activity with the Chrome Music Lab with the song maker and you have the students create something, you know, you give them a couple of, you give them their minimum, say it needs to be at least this, at least this, that the rest of it's your choice. Then they can actually save that, have a link to submit to you. So if you need evidence of something, if you need some kind of student data, you can get that. Um, I mean, I could go through all of the things in the Chrome Music Lab, but but I'll, I'll, I'll spare you. <laughs> it's really, it's just more fun if you go in there and start playing. <laughs> so if you I haven't, agree. Chrome, do Chrome Music Lab was one of the first things that I dove into with technology. <laughs> um, and then when COVID hit, I was a lifesaver, yeah. um, especially when it happened quickly. I'm like, all right, we're going to do this asynchronous stuff. Let's use all, all these Chrome Music Lab. I use my mm -hmm. Chrome Music Lab task cards, which help them guide them. Um, so Chrome Music Lab was a huge help um, during COVID with me in my classroom. Um, I definitely used it probably to death. <laughs> I think there are definitely some of my older kids that are so tired of it. Um, so I'm curious to know, are there any other resources out there that you think are maybe comparable to Chrome Music Lab or could be helpful um, in other ways, especially for maybe the older kids? Yeah. Have you ever used Groove Pizza? I love Groove Pizza, but I honestly <laughs> only used it in my classroom very, very sparsely. Yeah, I love it too. So Groove Pizza is kind of like that rhythm maker, but a lot more fun. It's, you're, again, you're creating these rhythmic tracks, but oh goodness, there's so many different ways that I could approach this. So you're, you're looking at something that's shaped like a pizza. And essentially I tell the kids you're dragging toppings onto the pizza and the various toppings are going to represent the musical sounds. So again, you're creating loops. But Groove Pizza lets you dive in a lot deeper with what you're creating, what it sounds like. You can add different layers and different, um, like different sections. You can change the tempo. And then what's kind of cool is you can also, if you really want to go crazy, connect it to some math principles because the different toppings also create shapes on your pizza. And you can talk about angles and like um, 
you know, if a pizza has 16 slices, you can go like, what might the meter be? What, what fraction is each beat of the 16 slices? If the pizza only has 12 slices, how did that change our meter? So you can really dive into some different like inquiry type topics um, just through this one tool of creating loops. And then what I would often do is I would have the kids create their their thing, their, you know, and we would call them backing tracks and use them for warm-ups. Again, it's that metronome thing, right? Nobody in sixth grade really likes playing long tones in band, but if you add a cool backing track, it becomes a lot more fun. <laughs> so that's another one that you could experiment with if you're ready for something different than, than, uh, than the Chrome Music Lab. And in general, like the Google experiments, um, you mentioned the Blob Opera. That's one of the Google experiments. There's a ton of stuff in there. Um, another one that my a lot of my elementary general friends like is called Seeing Music. Uh, basically, it uses the microphone on your computer. The kids sing, and it will show you like a visualization of what that looks like. Um, it'll show like different contour. It'll show volume in different colors, and that's a really cool experiment to play with, especially if you're someone who does... Um, like echoing vocal warm-up kind of things like the sirens and whatnot. That's a neat one. My kindergartners love when uh, they can visualize their vocal sirens. Yeah. Um, but I've also, you know, personally, I've been dealing with a lot of my older kids still not really doing great with the head voice thing. Um, mm-hmm. So we've been doing a lot of sirens and things like that with the older kids. And they love when they can make it go up and down with their voice. Aww. Like, so that's a great way to kind of get those older kids into. Um, yeah. So I, so I, I kind of reinforcing the fact that, you know, there really is something for any group at any age um, if you can find it. Yeah, if you go to just go to Google Experiments and type in music, you'll find all kinds of crazy things. Now, here's another one I'll tell you that you probably won't use in your classroom, but it's so fun. <laughs> it's called the Freddie Meter, and it's um, it's Freddie Mercury songs, and basically you sing along with Freddie Mercury, and they tell you how well you did, and if you if you're on par with Freddie Mercury. <laughs> Oh my goodness. The internet is always, you you can never expect what you're going to get. I know. So, or maybe, maybe you will try it with kids. I don't know. I I just (laughs) went with friends and we crack ourselves up. I love that. So I know that there's a lot of information out there, a lot of apps, a lot of resources. So how do we, how would you recommend a teacher not get overwhelmed by just the amount of, of pure, the sheer amount of just options? Yeah. How do you recommend teachers kind of sift through this wonderful cache of stuff and find what really is going to be helpful for their classrooms? Yeah. Um, I think one of the first things you need to do is take an inventory of what you have. Okay. Like what devices do you have? And a lot of school districts, you know, have specific tools that you can use. So maybe see if your district has a list already of these are tools that, that we are approved to use, or even just find out like, are there tools that the kids are already using? Because if you can find something that the kids already know how to use, it's one less thing you have to teach, right? So think of, I would go there first, just find out like what's out there that, that we're allowed to use. What might the kids already know? Um, and kind of start from that. Um, we talked about before thinking about what your musical goals are, what you want to accomplish with the technology that can also help steer you in a good direction. Um, another tool I forgot to, to say that has been a really great one is Flip, uh, formerly called Flipgrid. It's now Flip. Um, a lot of classrooms are using that. So that's uh, there's a good chance that that might be available. And Flip is a video response platform where the kids record video 
um, and then it kind of shows up in this grid and they can, they can see things, they can see each other's videos. You can see them, stuff like that. Um, that's a great one for having kids. We talked about seeing their, you know, uh, not seeing their voices, sorry, being able to like hear from every student so giving every student a voice. So maybe you have an activity where the kids are, you know, everybody's working on a song and you say, okay, you know, grab your device, go record a flip video for me, showing me that you know how to do this. Or maybe even it's a reflection right? Maybe you've did something in class and you want to hear what the kids thought about it, how they're feeling about it. Give them the instructions. Okay. Record a flip video telling me how you did with this activity, telling me what you thought, what are the next steps? What's going to take this to the next level or what do you still need help with? So I think that's kind of where I would start, start with what you have and with what they know, and then start moving from there. I think you bring up a really good point. You know, we can go so many different directions, but I think it's really important that just go talk to their homeroom teacher and see what they're already mm -hmm. using. Yeah. One uh, one year I found out the kindergartners were using um, Seesaw. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, Seesaw could be really great. I never wanted to dive into it because I'm like, I don't want to teach kindergartners how to use an iPad. Um, but yeah. they were already using it and they were already used to like figuring out how it worked. So that made it a lot easier. So I would definitely check in, see what apps are they already using. Try not to reinvent the wheel if you don't have to. Absolutely. Because let's, I mean, we have so little time with the kids. We don't have time to be teaching them huge, you know, huge tech tools all the time. If there's something that you can start with, it's, that's a great introduction. And then down the line, as you become more comfortable with it, as they become more comfortable using it in the music classroom, then you start to introduce the new stuff, right? Then you go to something that might be a little more complex and take multiple class periods. But for your first one, you want your first time to be a win, right? <laughs> I mean, it might not. There's going to be flops and that happens. It happens to the best of us. But try to find something that, that you know is going to be pretty successful. So I want to give my audience a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of an action item. So what is something a teacher can do in the next week or so to increase their engagement that their students have and kind of the choices, the agency they get by using technology? Yeah. Well, honestly, I want them to do, I want them to use it. <laughs> That's the first challenge is just to, to find a place in, in your, you know, in your lesson plans that you can in, incorporate some technology. So even if that's just a quick exit ticket in a Google form, right, or having them record a flip video or doing an entire class um, groove pizza together where you create a groove pizza, do something that's going to be student facing, right? So the students are in, are interacting with the tech and see what happens. Just go into it thinking like, you know, this is an experiment for all of us. And you might even say to the kids like, hey, guess what? We're going to try this and I've never done it before. <laughs> you, are you ready to try it with me for the first time? And, and they'll be excited, but just give it a try. And then, you know, once you've done that, reflect on it. Okay. What went well? What do I want to do differently next time? And take it from there. All right, so I'm going to take it even one step further. I want anyone who tries something new to let us know how it goes. So tag me over on Instagram, send me a DM, um, which kind of brings me to my next point, Teresa, which is how can we connect with you online and how can we share um, our wins with you as well? Yes, totally share the wins. And you can share the losses too, right? You can share the flops. That's yes, okay. I love it. That's, that's, that's all part of this process. Um, so I am on Twitter and Instagram. It's at musical Teresa. It's pretty easy. Um, and I would, I would love to see how it goes. Um, I also have a blog. It's off the beaten path in music.com. And I have a lot of blog posts about tech stuff. Um, 
just, you know, here are some ideas on how to use this tool. Here are some resources for this tool, things like that. So if you go over to the blog and just uh, check out the, the technology stuff, you'll, you'll find a lot of different things there. Alrighty. Well, I will be sure to put all of those links into the show notes. So if you want to go ahead and connect with Teresa or read some of her blog posts, go ahead and check out those links and we can learn more about this together because I will definitely be diving in after I get off this recording. <laughs> Yay, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> Teresa, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and chatting with me and my audience. Uh, I can't wait to see the types of responses that people send in. Um, again, please tag us or please message us. We definitely want to know. I definitely want to see what you're trying, yes. um, what's going right, what's going wrong. So thank you so much, Teresa. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.